This is the On The Line Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the On The Line Podcast. Here again with Noah for another great jam-packed show. Noah, how you doing? Good, man. Excited to talk about everything we got going on. Got some, got some big rankings coming up. Huge rankings, dude. Huge rankings. Uh, we're going to be going over wide receiver rankings to start the show. Then we're going to move into the in the news segment. We got some Jadavian Clowney news, uh, Melvin Gordon news, and Matt Nagy went on the herd with Colin Cowherd and talked about the QB situation there in Chicago. Then we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be listing our running back rankings for the 2020 season. And then we're going to talk about the biggest threats to the Chiefs in the upcoming season. And then we're always going to end it with our gambling corner. And this week, we're actually not going to be doing any football gambling. We're going to be doing hockey gambling since hockey's coming back. We're going to give you guys our top three picks to win the Eastern and Western Conference. And then a wild card pick, one that might be favorable for the money, but it may not always be so reliable. But you know, well, let's have some fun right now and let's jump right into it. So to start things off, we're going to start with the wide receiver rankings. You know what? It's when I was making my list, it was kind of tough to put them in order. You know, just earlier this week, I went to the, I was going to the store with my mom and I looked over and I saw a car dealership and at the car dealership, you could see so many nice cars outside. You see the Bentleys, you see the Rolls Royce, Ferraris, and it's like, if you had the option to pick, if you pick one, you can't make a bad choice. And that's the same thing that happens here with the wide receiver rankings. There are just so many good wide receivers in the league. You know, if you rank one, one, two, or three, you can't really make a bad decision. But to start my list off, I got DeAndre Hopkins, number one, Nuke. He's an absolute beast. Then I go Michael Thomas, who was the league leader in yards last year followed by Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, and Tyreek Hill. So I go DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill. Noah, what do you have? Yeah, pretty similar for the top three. And like you said with the cars thing, I mean, like there's probably 10 or 15 guys that anyone can make a case for for this top five. There are just so many good weapons. I think it's probably the hardest position to rank too. But for me, I was able to decide on DeAndre Hopkins at one, Michael Thomas two, Julio Jones three, so pretty uh pretty similar to yours, and then same. pretty same. the same. Yeah, I mean you can't go wrong with them. But then uh four and five, I've got Mike Evans at four, and then Devontae Adams at five. So little different oh there. God. Little different. So Mike Adam, Mike Evans, excuse me, Mike Evans, Tampa Bay Bucks. You know they got Tom Brady, might be a little bit better than Jameis Winston down there, especially with the decision making, but. You know, he has Chris Godwin across from him. What do you think, you know, why, how do you think Mike Evans could still keep up that production in Tampa with Chris Godwin there? I mean, even if you look at last season, Chris Godwin, I think, had a better statistical season than Mike Evans did. So, you know, how do you think that cuts into what Mike Evans can do in Tampa? Now, I do think he's definitely going to see a dip in production or at least a little lower than what he did from his uh, his best season in 2018. I mean, Chris Godwin's emerged as one of the top weapons in the league. I mean, you could argue definitely top 10. He had a great season last year for sure. 
Uh, I think that both of them are going to be able to coexist and can put up top 10 wide receiver numbers again with Tom Brady. I mean, their emergence of, or not emergence, excuse me, resurgence of Rob Gonkowski with, uh, with Tom Brady. That's probably going to cut into a little bit of their workload too. But I just think in terms of the ability to go up and get the ball, I wouldn't put him anywhere outside of the top three. I would have probably DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, and Mike Evans for contested catch. I mean, the he just makes it happen. He's got one of those star-studded abilities just go out there and make plays. So he might not put up the production that he did in 2018. He had, I think, 1,500 yards, 86 catches, and eight touchdowns. So, like you said, Chris Godwin's presence is going to cut into that. But just from a talent standpoint, that's why I have him at number four. I just think that he's too good to keep out of the top five. I mean, he's absolutely dominant. There is no questioning that. He has the toe-tap abilities. He can beat you down the field. I mean, he is a freak athlete. But, I mean, I put – I was thinking about putting Mike Evans in. I didn't. I put Tyreek Hill instead. Tyreek Hill is just – he's the cheetah. He's so fast. He, you know, he can kill you over the top. If you look at his, you know, his, his breakdown of where he catches the ball and how many yards he gets it for – his most trafficked area of the field is deep middle and deep right. And he averages 28 and 33 yards respectively in each of the areas of the field. He's catching north of like 20 passes in each area of the field. It's absurd how many yards Tyreek Hill gets down the field. He, in my opinion, he's the best deep threat in the league. I mean, he, you know, he may not, he may not always make the the short routes, but he, he can just kill you with the speed. And that's something that, especially when you're paired with Patrick Mahomes, who has an absolute cannon, it just elevates you to another level. So that's why I put Tyreek Hill over Mike Evans. I think Tyreek Hill is just, he's got the X factor. You know how in Madden, the new Madden, they put those X factors in. I mean, I think that, you know, Tyreek Hill, he can just burn you over the top. Like he's an unbelievable athlete, but I mean, you can't go wrong with Mike Evans. And I think that, and he's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league is Keenan Allen. I mean, Keenan Allen can run routes like any of the great guys. He may not get the production that a Michael Thomas or a DeAndre Hopkins can get, but he still is able to create separation and be a great receiving option for whoever's going to play quarterback for them. I mean, that's what kind of put him a little bit lower on my list. I mean, he would never break the top three between Julio, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, it was even hard to put those in order because if you pick one of them, they're going to be amazing. Well, I actually had uh, Devontae Adams in, at number five over Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen's my sixth guy. And the only reason that I would do that is because of the weapons around Devontae Adams in his career. I mean, the other receivers that have been alongside him just haven't been nearly as good. I think uh, Hunter Henry and Mike Williams have been more more complimentary pieces to Keenan Allen there. So it's allowed to take the pressure off him a little. So that's why I have Devontae Adams over top of him. He's sort of similar to Mike Evans with me that go up and just being able to high point the ball and sort of make a big play at any time. It's sort of the same love that I have with Mike Evans that I do with Devontae Adams. But going back to the Keenan Allen thing, I you could easily argue that he's in the top five as well. I mean, other than the years that he's been injured, he hasn't seen less than 100 targets in his entire career. I think his highest amount of targets came in 2017, 159. I'm pretty sure it led the league. That's absurd. 
159 targets. I mean, like, Philip Rivers had unreal chemistry with Keenan Allen, and I can't see them taking as many targets away. I mean, he might he might dip in his production a little bit with Herbert in there. Who knows what the rookie QB is going to be able to do. But I do think he's one of the best route runners in the league, obviously one of the most targeted. So you can't argue you can't argue that uh, that he just – I mean, he's – I'm speechless. I don't know what to say because it's so, it's, I'm so torn between putting him or Adams in the top five. I, I, I don't know. But like I said, the go up and being able to high point the ball, I think it's important. He doesn't have as much of a downfield threat to me that Devontae Adams does, so that's why I don't have him. That's why I have him at six and not five. So if you don't have Tyreek Hill in your top five, where do you put him? Um, see, the thing is with Hill for me, I think he's elevated by Patrick Mahomes' play. I still think he's a top ten weapon. I'd probably put him, I'd probably put him at eight or nine to be honest. I think Odell Beckham is still underrated, even though that the presence of Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield's play has sort of cut into his production. But uh, so th- there's other guys there too for me. Obviously, he's one of the best best speed weapons in the league, I would argue, too. Best downfield threat as well. And as soon as he gets the ball in his hand, his speed just allows him to make so many plays. But I would probably keep him keep him around eight. It, what's interesting is that Tyreek Hill in 2018, because last season he didn't play every game. He was injured. He averaged 14.8 yards per reception. But in 2018, he averaged 17 yards per reception. That's more than Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins had in the past three seasons. He His big playability is probably one of the best in the league in terms of receiving. I mean, he can just speed down the field, and he'll always be open. I mean, he can just outrun you. And like you said, the combination with Patrick Mahomes, yeah, it does elevate him a little bit. Not a little bit, a lot, because Patrick Mahomes is an absolute cannon, but I mean, I feel like if you put Tyreek Hill on any team, I think that he automatically makes your offense better. But, you know, I kind of see where you're getting at with Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is a great player. He's an unbelievable wide receiver. You know, he has Aaron Rodgers. My thing with Devontae Adams is why I didn't put him in there was his health concerns. He, you know, he has been a little injury prone, but he comes up clutch. He's a great wide receiver, and he comes up in the big games, but he's just not in my top five for those injury reasons. I actually pulled up a list that I found. Bleacher Report made a list from 2016. In 2016, they made a list, and they said who their projected top 10 wide receivers would be in 2020. And here's who they had in the top 10. They had Amari Cooper, Odell, Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, and Mike Evans in their top five. They thought that Amari Cooper would be number one, Odell number two, Watkins three, Hopkins four, Evans five. Now, you know, you might be thinking, you know, Amari Cooper, Odell, they're not near one and two. But, I mean, from four years out, it's not bad. I mean, they're they're all really good, except for Watkins. Watkins hasn't lived up to his potential. But, you know, they're all, they're all top ten wide receivers in the league right now. And then they go, their bottom five in the top ten list was Kevin White, who I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry, Allen Robinson, and Michael Thomas. So, I mean, you could make an argument that Landry, Robinson, obviously Thomas, and Devontae Parker, they're all really good wide receivers. They can all be number one wide receivers on a team. So, I mean, their list is not terribly wrong, especially for being four years in advance. But, I mean, you know, how you have Kevin White in there, 
he's not even playing anywhere. His, his draft hype was more than his NFL career ever was. You know, and what else is interesting is that at 16, they had Julio. They thought Julio was going to fall off. But, I mean, Julio just got better with age. Like a fine wine, he got better with age. And they had Keenan Allen at literally the bottom of the strong consideration list. So he didn't even make – the list went to top 25. He was at the bottom of the – Strongly consideration after 25. I mean, that's just a total miss. Keenan Allen is definitely, he's a top 10 wide receiver. And in my opinion, he's a top five wide receiver. But, you know, I think that, you know, I thought I thought that article was very interesting about how they ranked the receivers a few years out. They had a few misses, but, you know, they were pretty accurate, especially, you know, maybe not in terms of rank, but in the top 10 wise, yeah, definitely. I just think that it's, you know, we got to see the Odells, the Amari Coopers. We got to see their breakout. I mean, we saw a little bit from Amari, but Odell fell off. You know, he had that one big catch that kind of made his brand, that made his name, but his productivity has to follow. And Jarvis, now that he's on the Browns, you know, it kind of all revolves around Baker. They got the weapons, but, you know, it's it's yet to be seen if those two can really step up and elevate their game to the elite level um, that their you know their brand more holds more than their play. Yeah, I think it just goes back to what we said. Like, I think the quarterback plays a tremendous, tremendous role in the success of their receivers, and also the amount of targets that are there for the offense. I mean, Jarvis Landry is pretty similar to Keenan Allen in his offense in Miami, where him and Ryan Tannehill had a great rapport, good chemistry. I mean, he saw similar target share that Keenan Allen did with Phillip Rivers. I mean, they were just feeding that guy the ball. But now that he's in Cleveland, there are too many mouths to feed. So it's hard to argue talent, too, because like you said, it's the car dealership analogy. There's just so many good weapons in so many different circumstances that you can make a case for any guy to be top 10, top 15, top 20, whatever. It's just I think the quarterback is extremely important and the mouths in the offense just contributes to the success of the wide receivers. I mean, you saw Allen Robinson have top 10 numbers with Blake Bortles. Now they had nothing else going on there and he was the only guy. And now that he's in Chicago, they try to get Tariq Cohen the ball. They're trying to run the ball more and his numbers have dipped off. And also Mitch Trubisky hasn't been nearly as good as what people thought he would be. So just going back to that, I mean, there's just so many factors that go into making a top 10 top 20, whatever receiver, there's just so many, so many dominant athletic weapons out there. I mean, it's just, it's hard to go wrong. There really are. And you know, it's a great time for football because we get to watch all these guys and they're absolutely unbelievable. You know, I kind of wish maybe there's a little bias here. Kind of wish Antonio Brown was still in the league. I mean, he was an absolute, he was, it was just amazing to watch him. His footwork, his hands, his route running was just unbelievable. But you know, with the receivers we have now, it really doesn't get it any better than this. So let's move on to our next segment in the news, where we talk about news stories that happened over the past week. So let's start off with Jadevian Clowney. It was reported that Jadevian Clowney got an offer from the Browns. He's still a free agent. He got an offer from the Browns, and it would it was an extremely lucrative offer. The number wasn't dropped, but it was said to be a a very high contract, you know, no duration, no nothing like that. And he declined it, or he's still tabling it at least. And in my opinion, I think that, you know, Clowney, I think that he's making the right decision. 
You know, I, I think that it really comes down to specifics of the contract that was offered to him. But I think it's the right decision to not immediately accept the Browns' offer. No, you might feel differently about this, but I think that I think that Clowney is making a smart decision here. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think the offer is going to get too much better, though. I don't know the details of the contract. It is reported that it was the highest dollar figure. He's had to lower his standards a little bit. He was expecting around $20 million a year. I think this was, what, in the 16 to 17 range. Still big-time money, and I think that he probably deserves close to that. But the reason why I think he should accept it, I think it's actually going to be a good fit for him. I mean, you get to play alongside Miles Garrett. I mean, that's going to make that defense a tremendous threat. That would, in my opinion, it would elevate them to sure top 10 defense. And that would make the AFC North just a powerhouse conference for defense. I mean, it would be it would be a no-joke conference, which compared to one to two years ago, everyone was saying it was probably one of the easier conferences in the league. Now it's no joke. I mean, that is true. But, you know, think about this. If they offered him the most money for a one-year deal, if I'm Jadevian Clowney, you know, maybe he knows it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe his confidence is really high, but he's more of a name now than he is production, especially after that last year in Seattle. If he's offered a one-year deal, if I'm clowning, I'm saying no. No, I want a long-term because you know what? Like his, If his production next year falls off again, then people are really not going to pay him any money. I mean, if he signs a one-year deal, you know, he gets the big money and his, his production just doesn't match it, you know... It, no one's going to pick him up and no one's going to sign him for a big deal. Rather, he gets a little bit less money, but it's more consistent over time for multiple years. I think that he'd be, it'd be a better fit for him, especially, you know, if he's able to perform, it's a good value for the team. And if his production stays relatively low, then it's a good value for him. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that his value, honestly, right now, speaking of his name, I mean, it's, I think, the highest it's ever been. Granted, there's his concerns with injury, but everyone still acknowledges him as one of the top in his position. And I think it goes back to the Miles Garrett point that I brought up, is that if he's playing alongside a great talent like him, they're not going to be able to double-team him. Defenses aren't going to be able to put nearly as much pressure on Clowney like he was or like he had in Seattle or in his past. I mean, you're not going to be – you have to – pick which guy you're going to double team. And I think that they're going to go for Garrett more. So I think that complements him well. I don't think they're going to expect as much from him in terms of his workload. He's not going to just have to carry carry the, uh, the attention of offensive lines. So I think it'll actually benefit him pretty well. And the fact that this is the highest contract that he's got, I don't really care if it's a one-year or one-year deal or not. I mean, this is the highest value I think he's going to get. I think it's the highest contract offer he's going to get too. And it gives him an opportunity to play in a pretty star-studded defense. So that's why I think he should take the deal. Next on the news segment, we have the NHL playoffs are coming back. How exciting is that, dude? Dude, it's unreal. It's live sports. I mean, we've resorted to watching, what, Korean baseball, NASCAR. Korean and I think baseball, I, yes. Yeah, you got to stay up till 1 a.m. to watch that. And I, I started watching Cornhole the other day. I think ESPN <laughs> had that on. So, uh so I'm excited. I'm super excited to get uh, one of the top sports back. Yeah, it's great. They got a 2014 playoff format. Uh, they're going to be pitting some teams against each other to try and get the seating, and all the top teams in each conference are going to be playing each other to determine the seating. So it's going to be great. I can't wait for it to come back. And you know, 
when we get into the gambling corner later, we'll show you our picks for who's going to win each conference. Melvin Gordon, as people know, Melvin Gordon is not on the Chargers anymore. He was drafted by the Chargers, but he's not there anymore. He's on the Broncos now, and he was asked what it might be like playing with no fans. And his response is, well, I'm pretty used to it. When we used to play in LA, we didn't have many fans come to our stadium, so I'm already used to I'm already used to playing without any fans right now. So, I mean, it, I thought that was pretty humorous that he made a joke out of it. But I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, the Chargers had the least attendance in the league. Granted, their stadium was also probably the worst, number one, and number two, it definitely held the least amount of people. But you know, it is going to be a different change for the football world, especially with no fans. You know, what's going to have to score a touchdown, do a celebration to nobody. They're going to be dancing for nobody. Yeah, I mean, it was it even their stadium? I mean, it was a soccer stadium, right? It was, correct. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, it, like you said, pretty humorous. Uh, good talent. Melvin Gordon seems like a good guy, regardless of the news surrounding him last season with the holdout or whatever. But, uh yeah, I mean, I think he's just trying to make the best of the situation and the best of the comment. Uh, yeah, I mean, playing in front of no fans. I mean, they've had a talented team. I don't know why people don't want to go watch them, especially I don't I don't understand how they can't fill a soccer stadium. Uh, we'll see if they can fill a full-size football stadium here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, thought, I just thought it was funny. Moving on, Matt Nagy went on the herd with Colin Cowherd. Big fan of Colin Cowherd. I like his... It's very entertaining. He's got an entertaining style about him. But Matt Nagy went on. It was a good interview. And he talked about the QB situation in Chicago for the upcoming season. Noah, what was your opinion on it? Yeah, I mean, he seemed optimistic about the situation moving forward. Obviously, I think fans have been a little disappointed with Mitch Trubisky's production. They regressed last season from their previous one of their playoff appearance. Uh, They brought Nick Foles in, who, I mean, Big Dick Nick, right? That's what everyone's calling him. I mean, he was super Super Bowl hero, right? Cinderella story. Uh, he's moved around the league. He's definitely had his highs and lows. Nagy, uh, Nagy touched on that when Colin asked him. He said that he's been at the top of the mountain winning the Super Bowl, and he's been at his low where he was just getting bounced around from team to team, had to play, had to take a backup role. But uh, bringing him in to compete alongside Mitch, I think it's just trying to improve the position as much as possible. You see a bunch of organizations now I would actually point to Philadelphia and drafting Jalen Hurts, just trying to make their quarterback room as strong as possible. Uh, I don't think they've given up on Mitch completely. I still think it's his job to lose. They definitely don't want him to just be completely sidelined by Nick Foles. Uh, but if it comes to that, I think that's, that's why they brought him in. They just, they want to be able to win games. I think they have pieces on their offense. Uh, we've seen what their defense has been able to do over the past couple of seasons. It's clearly strong, uh, and they just need to find a they just need to find a viable option back there. So I think it's a healthy competition. Maybe it's the push that Mitch needs, and if he is still in the starting role, Nick Foles has plenty of experience. I mean, he's a seasoned pro. I would almost say that he's sort of like Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of his approach to the game. I mean, he's just a true professional. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to say that he has you know, the experience just because he's probably so much younger. But I think, I, in terms of the professional aspect of it, I think that he's pretty similar to Fitzpatrick. He just knows the game, wants to win, knows his role. So I think it's good for the, I think it's good for Chicago. I, I don't think they can miss bringing him in. Right, and you know. 
last show in the gambling corner, I said that, you know, it might be a good odds to take Mitch Trubisky to be the starting QB week one. And I still stand by that. I think that especially with the whole Corona and the limited practice that teams are going to be able to have, I think that they might go back to somebody that already knows the system and they might give Mitch another chance to start the season. And if things don't end up doing well, like you said, they might bring in Nick Foles, an experienced veteran who, you know, he knows what he's doing. He won a Super Bowl. So I think that they can't go wrong. Their situation's not bad. And they definitely have a good team around them. Their defense is elite. And Allen Robinson, really good ball player. He can play. Their backfield, they need a little help. They could pick up a free agent. But between Tyreek Cohen right now and David Montgomery, they should be able to muster together a better offense than they did last year. And you have to remember that late into last season, they were still technically a playoff bound team. Like they still had a chance to make the playoffs last year and Mitch was not very good. So if we see an improved Mitch or maybe a Nick Foles that can take reins of this offense, it could be very good for them. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be back in about a minute. And we're back. The second half of the show here with Noah again this week. If you missed the first half, we started off with our wide receiver rankings. It was pretty much the same for both of us. But, you know, one of us had Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans. It was a little little bit of a mix there, Devontae Adams. And then we went into the In the News segment, talked about Debbie and Clowney, talked about Melvin Gordon, and the Chicago Bears QB situation. Noah, how you doing? Dude, doing well, ready for the second half of the show, ready to kick it off with these running back rankings, so uh, we should get into it. Let's get right into it, dude. So for my running back rankings, might get a little bit of, might get a little bit of hate for this, but that's okay. I'm, I'm here to defend it. I start off with CMC, then I go Ezekiel Elliott, Zeke, Saquon, Derrick Henry, and then my fifth is Nick Chubb, and then my honorable mention, Alvin Kamara, but my top five is CMC, Zeke, Saquon, Derrick Henry, and Nick Chubb. What do you have? Yeah, similar guys, just in different order. So obvious number one, I think, is CMC. Uh, number two for me is Saquon. Three is Zeke. Four is Alvin Kamara. Five, Derrick Henry. And then I got my honorable mention here with Joe Mixon, which might stir up the pot a little bit, might cause some controversy, but I'm ready to defend it. All right, dude. So let's get into it right now. So... You know, obviously CMC is number one. I mean, he had a case last year to be the NFL MVP. He had 1,300 rush yards, 1,000 receiving yards. He had 15 rushing touchdowns and four receiving touchdowns. He led the entire league. This is an interesting stat, ready? Out of all of receivers, tight ends, running backs, anyone that catches the ball, he led the league in yards after catch. He was absolutely unbelievable in the open field. 4.8 yards per rush. I mean, he's he's unbelievable. So CMC, the clear number one. And then you had Saquon too. Why would you put Saquon over Zeke? So here's the take on that is that I think Saquon's got the pass catching ability. He's a little bit injury prone, but if he could put together a full season there with a decent offensive line, I, I think he's going to put up career numbers this upcoming season Zeke's the best pure rusher in the NFL in my opinion even behind that offensive line like his ability to just create space get between the tackles read the defense as he's coming out of the backfield 
it's unparalleled. I think he's the best in the league at it. I don't think you could go wrong. I think that's the reason why you have him. Two is probably because you value uh, the rushing ability a little more. I value the pass catching game and more of the complete back. But at two and three, I mean, I think they're interchangeable. You could argue it either way. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that Zeke, I mean, he played the full season. Saquon only played 13 games. When you talk about receiving capabilities, Zeke still had 420 receiving yards. He had two receiving touchdowns, and he had 1,300 rush yards. I mean, he still, you know, he can catch the ball, but like you said, Saquon's more of a threat. Saquon has more of the ability to distract the defense and make them cover him as a wide receiver. Zeke doesn't do that. Zeke's the downhill rusher. Zeke's going to bull bull rush you. He's going he's gonna to beat you with the speed. He's unbelievable. But like you said, you can't really go wrong with putting Saquon or Zeke interchanging both of them. The only thing, you know, an interesting stat is Saquon, in the past two years, he has one fumble. I mean, that's that's pretty good. He holds onto the ball pretty nicely. In his rookie season, he had over 2,000 all-purpose yards. CMC just did that last year. He had 2,300. I mean, it's... You know, Saquon's unbelievable talent, and he's only in his third year. He's still really young. Zeke's still in his prime. He's unbelievable. And, I mean, we'll see this year after some of his offensive line retired. We'll see if Zeke can still put up those wonderful numbers. But when we get it to four five in the honorable mentions, that's where we disagree a little bit more. So I had Derrick Henry at three. I value him. I love Derrick Henry. Maybe it's a little biased because he was on my fantasy team last year, but nonetheless, I think Derrick Henry is still an unbelievable talent. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think Vrabel made the right choice. I mean, he's been the back in Tennessee since he was drafted, and someone finally gave him the chance to actually be the bell cow. I mean, the dude is a freak athlete. What, 6'4", and I think he runs a 4'4", four, four, or 4'5"? Four, like, why would you not just give him the ball every town? Like, they tried doing a little doing a little backfield by committee with Deion Lewis. And I think they even had DeMarco Murray there in the past. He was a decent rusher, but he was at the end of his career. I just, I'm baffled why they didn't give him the opportunity before. I mean, and then you saw this season. I mean, the stats that he put up are just absurd. He would literally just carry the ball down the field, had defense just on his back. You couldn't touch him. You couldn't take him down. You know, here's an interesting stat for Derrick Henry. And it, it, almost made me put him top three. I was almost about to put him in front of Saquon, but his stats from last season, he had 1,500 yards. He had 16 touchdowns, and he still had 200 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. Like For a guy like that, that's unbelievable. He led the league in yards per attempt. He had five yards per attempt. I mean, that's I mean, it, when you think about it, five yards per attempt, if you run it on first and second down, you're getting a first down every single time. <laughs> Um, I mean, he led it in with he led that in all running backs with at least 200 touches. I mean, when you think about it, 200 touches might seem like a lot throughout a season, but you know, a lot of backs that are second and third string that come in when the starters tired, they all have like at least 100, 150 touches. So, 200 touches is a good benchmark. But yeah, he led all the running backs in yards per attempt. He also led all the running backs in yards per game. He had 102 yards per game. I mean, that's unbelievable. He had over 100 yards rush yards per game with at least 200 touches in, in terms of all running backs. That's unbelievable. He was only second. Th- this was his only second thousand yard season. That's what kind of prevented me from putting him top three. And he did have five fumbles last season. I mean, that's a lot. He, you know, he didn't hold on to the ball very well. Five fumbles. If he holds on to it, that might be puts Tennessee in a better position. But I mean, they did go very far, farther than anyone expected them to. 
And one of the interest, most interesting stats I saw on Derrick Henry, provided by Amazon Analytics Next Gen Stats, was 35% of the time that Derrick Henry's on the field, the defense crowds eight guys in the box when he's rushing the ball. That means that the defense is literally expecting a run and he still is able to lead the league in yards per attempt and rush yards per game. It's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I think that that is crazy stat, especially with Derrick Henry. He's just, like you said, a freak athlete. He's just freakishly big and just has the speed of a guy that's half his size. Yeah, I mean, like you said, eight guys in the box 35% of the time, that's absurd. And I think that's why Tannehill's had so much success passing the ball because everyone's just preoccupied with Derrick Henry. And how could you not be? I mean, if you don't stack the box, he's just going to run through you and go up the middle of the field. I mean, we've seen him do it plenty of times. His ability to just rip off huge runs because of his combination of side and speed, or speed, excuse me, it's just absurd. It's pretty crazy, dude. And most of the time, when you look at a map of where he rushes the ball, most of the attempts are right up the middle or right around the left tackle. And who's the left tackle? None other than the pro bowler, Taylor Lewan. So, you know, that offensive line, the offensive scheme that Vrabel has going down there, it's really, really good. And like you said, it helps Tannehill out a lot. That's why I put him at four. But let's move on to five. I had Nick Chubb at five. You don't even have Nick Chubb in your top six. Why is that? Because Kareem Hunt's there, and I think he could do the same thing there. Look, I think Chubb had a great season, and I think the distraction of, or not distraction, but the attention to OBJ and Jarvis Landry, you can't leave them alone. So I don't think that he's he's getting nearly as much attention if he would be if he were in another offense. And I do think Kareem Hunt could put up similar numbers if he was given the same workload. They use Kareem Hunt mainly in the pass game out of the backfield, but look, I think Chubb's a top ten back, but this was his first big year. I think we, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid just yet on Chubb, so that's why I'm holding off on him. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you said, in the past, you know, he had his rookie season, which he still had an unbelievable rookie season. Last season, though, he had 1,500 yards. He had 1,494, but basically 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns. He had five yards per attempt. That's only second to Derrick Henry. He had 278 receiving yards, and you know, he had the second highest yards per game in the league last year, and he was third highest in attempts behind Derrick Henry and Zeke. I think that, you know, like you said, maybe OBJ, Jarvis Landry, the weapons on that team are a distraction, but Chubb himself, he's finding the holes. He's able to make big plays happen. I think he's extremely underrated because he's in Cleveland, because he's surrounded by all that other talent and Kareem Hunt's there. People overlook him, but I don't think you can. I think that He's just, he's warming up. He's becoming the next big running back in the league. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I don't want to forget to mention my boy that I had at number four, Alvin Kamara. I know you said that you, he's your honorable mention, but I think you're dissing him a little because I don't think he gets nearly as much of the workload, yet he puts up unreal production for as much attention that he gets. He hasn't had over 200 attempts rushing in his entire career. Where he makes his bread and butter and where he makes his money out of is the pass-catch game. I mean, his rookie season, he had 826 receiving yards out of the backfield. And it's interesting, every season that he's played from 2017 to 2019, he's had exactly 81 receptions. So, I mean, he's probably going to have 81 receptions again. I mean, he seems to love that number. I don't know what his obsession with it is, but he's, he's getting his targets. So, and then last year was, he had just under 100 targets and he had, 
100 to the uh, two seasons prior. So I value that probably just as much of the rushing ability just because you need your back to do both in order to be a top threat in the league. So that's why I'm putting Alvin Kamara there. I don't think he gets nearly as much nearly as much credit. He doesn't get the workload either in terms of the carries, and he's still putting up big-time numbers. Yeah, I mean, Kamara, if you look at his rushing numbers last year, you look at the number, and the past three years, actually, it's 700, 800, 700. He's not breaking that 1,000-yard mark, but like you said, his receiving game, that's what puts him in the charts. I mean, his yards from scrimmage for the past three years is 1,500, 1,600, 1,300. It's absolutely unbelievable. But, you know, his fumbles are also a concern. I mean, last year alone he had four fumbles. That's what kind of dissuaded me with Derrick Henry. You know, he had five fumbles. Fumbles are – they can change the course of a game, you know. Your teammates are trusting you. You have to be reliable. You can't be fumbling the ball like that. Kamara, like you said, he he can do – he's more versatile. He's more versatile than a Derrick Henry or than a Zeke because he can catch the ball. He can rush the ball too, but – you know, it's kind of crazy to think that you have that versatility in a player, and then you look at Christian McCaffrey, and he's the versatility in a player, but he's literally the best of a running back and the best of a wide receiver. Like, he's literally the best of both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, the dude's unreal. I wouldn't put anyone else at number one. I wouldn't either. And did I hear that again? You had Joe Mixon up there? Yeah, Joe Mixon is my sixth guy. It's Look. Joe Mixon was on an abysmal team last year. The attention was all on him, similar to Derrick Henry, except Derrick Henry actually had a guy that could pass the ball. I mean, I don't know why they even benched Dalton. They didn't even have a top weapon there. Tyler Boyd was their best receiving weapon. I mean, the the Bengals were just an abysmal team. Joe Mixon, he gets the carries. I mean, his rushing attempts were the highest that his career has ever seen at 278 last year. He regressed a little bit from yards, but I think that's just because the attention was all on him. I think if they give him the opportunity there and don't give as many targets out of the backfield to Giovanni Bernard, I think he could be a top five back. I mean, you could even argue that he could put up better stats than Kamara just because of the rushing talent that he has. I think they just need to give him a chance in the receiving game. They just need to give him the ball. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubting that Joe Mixon definitely has talent. I mean, Joe Mixon, he's a beast. He's really good, and it is hard in the AFC North when you have all of these great defenses that you're going up against twice a year. I mean, like we said before, the Browns' defense is no joke. Pittsburgh's defense is no joke. Baltimore's defense is no joke. It's like you have to play them twice a year. That's six games right there. It's going to really affect your rushing record, but Joe Mixon still had an 1,100-yard season last season, 200 receiving yards. His TD production wasn't that good, but, you know, Last season, he was really the only playmaker on that team. A.J. Green didn't play at all. He's very reliable. He had no fumbles in the past two seasons. So, I mean, Joe Mixon, he's a top 10 back in my opinion. He's really good. I just think that Nick Chubb has that little bit of an edge. You know, he's got the rushing aspect there. But, like you said, I mean, next season, there still is the distraction of Kareem Hunt there. I mean, he's still there. So, we'll see. But I definitely, I don't think you can go wrong with any of your picks. I would just, I don't know. I think that the one person I would put higher is Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry is an absolute beast, and I think that he's going to continue his his reign next season. And maybe as one of my honorable mentions, I was tempted, but, I mean, maybe it's a little disrespectful, but I was tempted to put Lamar Jackson. 
I mean, Lamar Jackson, he, he's, <laughs> he's literally a running back and a quarterback. He's unbelievable, but, you know, obviously he's not a running back, but I think that he, you know, he can get it done with his legs. Everyone knows he's an amazing talent. But, you know, I like their lists, sir. Yeah, I mean, they're good lists. Can't go wrong with our top five. It's debatable for the honorable mention. Once you get to that sort of six to ten range, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of guys you could argue. But I think it's pretty definitive, like, top group. I think we have pretty similar lists in terms of the guys that are there. But uh, Lamar Jackson, that's a bold take. I mean, if you think about him, he's a 1,000-yard rusher, uh, and he's a QB, so... I think uh, I think you'd have to find a loophole in sort of the depth chart and how you uh, you spot him. If they spotted him as athlete, I think we could put him on the list. But uh, he's he's under he falls under the QB category, so I wouldn't throw him in. Spot him as athlete. I mean, look at this. Hey, if you put CMC listed as a wide receiver, is anyone going to be upset? I mean, it's going to look wrong, but he still had over a thousand yards receiving. Like he's it's unbelievable. He's still getting the ball. <laughs> still, I, I if I was the Panthers. I would literally just feed him the ball. I'm Matt Rule. I'm making up my offense right now. What does it revolve around? Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, one of the probably outside of all quarterbacks, the best probably offensive threat in the league outside of all the quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean he's a bad. He's a bad man. A, I don't know why a Stephen A. Man. keeps calling Aaron Rodgers the bad man. I mean, I think it. I think that title goes to CMC now. He's a bad man. I agree. I agree. But moving on. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. That might seem like an obvious statement, but, I mean, it's pretty momentous. The Chiefs beat the Niners last season in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, unbelievable talent. Andy Reid finally got that Super Bowl. But, I mean, when you look at it, are the Chiefs going to repeat? Noah and I both said no earlier in the season when we did our gambling picks. We don't think the Chiefs are going to repeat. So who's going to stand in their way? And Noah and I comprised the little list. We both agreed upon two teams that we think could stand in their way, and then we're going to give our wild card teams that might be able to knock them off from our own opinions. But Noah and I both think that the biggest opponents of the Chiefs that could really affect if they win or even make it to the Super Bowl again would be the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. And that's because these two teams are fundamentally sound they're coming off really good seasons last season and people can't figure them out i mean the ravens they have lamar jackson they have an x factor you know that's their x factor is lamar jackson that whole offense revolves around him yeah i think i honestly do think this is going to be the ravens year i think they've underachieved i mean that's the only knock on lamar jackson is that he hasn't been able to pull it together in the playoffs but I think last year was a little bit of a fluke. Tennessee got hot at the right time. I mean, everyone thought Baltimore was going to be one of the favorites. I think everyone was expecting a Chiefs-Ravens AFC championship game. So I think that that's going to leave sort of a bad taste in their mouth. It's going to light a fire under their ass coming into the year. I think they're going to have the experience now, too. They're going to know what they're up against. It's not going to be It's not going to be anything out of the ordinary to be in the playoffs for Lamar. He'll be in his what second full year, but really his third year playing in playing in, in the in the NFL, playing in the playoffs. So uh, I think they're going to be ready to go. They're clearly the top contender and the top threat to the Chiefs, and standing in their way to get back to the Super Bowl. And then with the Bills too. I mean, everyone wants to knock their offense, but Josh Allen has made tremendous improvements. 
And everyone underestimates his rushing ability, too. I mean, the dude can make plays outside of the pocket. You can't you can't doubt him. And with the Bills, Sean McDermott has made tremendous strides. I mean, he's really improved their defense. I think that that's what they're known for is their ability to keep teams, keep teams' offenses off the field, and they really control it on offense. Uh, I think that they're going to utilize Zach Moss as uh, as sort of the Frank Gore role. Now that Frank Gore's gone to the Jets, and he'll be a good complement to Devin Singletary out of the backfield. And they did add a big weapon on the outside for Josh Allen with Stephon Diggs. So. I think that he's going to continue to improve. I mean, we've seen it every year. He's been able to increase his production. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. So I think they're going to be, I don't, I think they're going to be a huge threat. I mean, his improvement in combination with their already star studded defense. I mean, it's very consistent. It's been in the top 10 the past two years. I don't see that slowing down either. I think they're the favorite to win their division. The only, that would be my only knock on them is that I think their division's the easiest, and they might not be as battle-tested coming into the playoffs. But they might be healthy. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with injuries, but they're not facing as tough opponents, so teams might not play, be playing as hard against them, so that might keep them uh, keep them safe from injury. Yeah, I mean, the Bills are definitely a team to look out for in the AFC, and they could definitely be a potential threat to the Chiefs. They got the power now that they got Stefan Diggs there. Zach Moss, you know, like you said, he's a good compliment to Devin Singletary. And Josh Allen, you know, he's turning into a very, very athletic and dual threat QB because he can do it with his legs. He's got a cannon for an arm, and they're really turning into a good team. Their defense is no joke. They're no joke. They got Tredavious White. He's amazing. And I just think that, they're going to be a real problem for the Chiefs. But my pick from the AFC that could really, really bother the Chiefs if they played them in the playoffs, I don't think they played during the regular season, but if they played them in the playoffs, I think the team that could really give them a hard time is the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, I think, match up just amazing with the Chiefs, and I think that they could really be a problem for the Chiefs Maybe come playoff time, you know, it's it's an early prediction, but I think the Chiefs secondary, you know, up front, they got Frank Clark. He's a really good player. But in the secondary, they have Tyred Matthew. He's good. And their next best player is Juwan Thornhill. I mean, the Browns have just way too much firepower, and they could be very unpredictable with their new coach, Kevin Stefanski. I mean, the Vikings played the Chiefs last year, and as people know, Stefanski was the offensive coordinator for the Vikings last year. The Vikings lost that game. They put up 23 on the Chiefs and lost, but that game they had no Thielen, and it was in the middle of the Stefan Diggs drama where Stefan Diggs was thinking about leaving the team, so he wasn't fully involved in the program. And now Stefanski has unbelievable weapons at his disposal to combat the Chiefs with. And I think that it's important to look at the Browns as they have so much potential. It all relies on Baker Mayfield. And if Stefanski is able to mold an offense around Baker and around all the weapons, then I think that they could be really successful against the Chiefs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the weapons are there. I think if Baker's play improves... It's going to raise that team's record an immense amount. The big wild card is just the coach. I mean, they've ever Cleveland's known for having their coaching woes, but like you said, they could be extremely unpredictable this year. Their new guy could really light a fire under them. I think he could take control. It just depends on their culture. 
I think that they've they're right there. Like the hype around them for the past one to two seasons, especially when Bakers come in. I mean, it's been absurd. I think that they've been overhyped, but I do think that this could be their year. I mean, they're right there. They have the tools. They have the players. They just need to put it all together. It could be. And I mean, an interesting stat to look at is people played the Chiefs last season. The Chiefs let up 102 rush yards per game to running backs. That's the eighth worst in the league. They gave up the worst, league worst in receiving yards to running backs last season. And what do the Browns have? A good tandem of a rushing and a receiving running back. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I think that they are a matchup nightmare for the Chiefs because of all the offensive weapons that they have. You know, Odell, Jarvis, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. How can you stop them all? And I think that the Chiefs, their defense isn't good enough, and I wouldn't dare touch the Chiefs. When you think about the Chiefs' offense, your defense has to be a little competent to just slow them down. All you need is one drive, one turnover, one defensive stop, and if your offense can consistently put up points on the Chiefs, then you should be fine. But it's about slowing down that offense and making sure that your offense is clicking that day, and I think the Browns can do that next season. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like you said, it's sort of a sort of can they put it all together? But, uh, I mean, I definitely think that they have the talent to do so. For my team, though, it's a similar situation going off of the uh, going off of the uh, attack that or the threat that they could uh, pose to the Chiefs' run defense. It's the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, we've been high on them every show that we've talked about them. I think they had one of the best drafts. And if you look at one of the or some of the evaluating factors of their team and their ability to win the Super Bowl, I'm looking at coach. I'm looking at the QB. I'm looking at the defense as a whole, and I'm looking at the weapons, and I'm looking at the offensive line. They got Frank Reich, one of the best coaches in the league. I think he did a tremendous job in turning the team around. QB, they have Rivers, who's fallen off a little bit, but he's a veteran. And the only reason that they went out and got him is because they want to win now. I don't think that anyone can argue Philip Rivers' leadership ability. I still think that he could throw the ball. And I think that he's in the mode to win now. You go look at their defense. They went on and got DeForest Buckner and Xavier Rhodes in the offseason, two star-studded pieces. They've already had Darius Leonard there. I mean, he's one of the best linebackers, if not the best linebacker in the league. So their defense is absolutely no joke. Their offensive line is led by Quentin Nelson. They're going to give great pass and run protection. And then you look at their weapons. T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman on the outside is no joke. It's going to be one of the most underrated wide receiver tandems in the league. And then Zach Pascal had a decent stretch down the year. We talked about him on a previous show. His production in the second half of the season last year was pretty decent. And then going to the run game, like you said, the Chiefs have had a trouble stopping the run. What did the Colts do? They drafted Jonathan Taylor to go alongside Marlon Mack, who Marlon Mack was in a 1,000-yard rusher last season. I think that they're going to go with the tandem approach with those two talented backs. and I mean, it's going to give the Chiefs real problems. If the Colts' defense can stay together and Phillip Rivers can continue to have similar play that he's had in the past couple of years, I mean, they're going to be a real problem for the Chiefs. They could be a problem for the Chiefs, but it's that question mark, do you think that the Colts' defense can stop the Chiefs? 
Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of weapons there. I mean, we've talked about it. Pat Mahomes, obviously one of the best quarterbacks, arguably the best QB in the NFL. You've got Ty Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins there now. I mean, the weapons are endless. They have speed with McCole Hardman, too, as their wide receiver three, which is absurd because he's run sub-4-3 speed. So that's why they went out and got Xavier Rhodes at corner. I think they might be taking a little bit of a gamble on him. Everyone was sort of down on him after having a not-so-great season in Minnesota last year. But regardless, I think it's an upgrade for them at that position. So if they can handle the receivers on the outside, they have plenty of talent on the defensive line and over the middle especially now having to force Buckner to compliment uh, Darius Leonard in the middle there. I mean, they're going to be able to stop the Chiefs' run game for sure, but, I mean, the big question is the pass element, and uh, we'll see if they could do it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, like you said, the Colts definitely have the weapons for it, but I think it all comes down to defense. All you got to do is have that one stop, and hopefully your offense can go toe-to-toe with the Patrick Mahomes, and that defense is the weak part of that team. It's definitely not the offense. It's a defense, so I think that in order to knock the Chiefs off, you're going to have to really be on your A game. And I do think that I do think the Colts have a good chance. Like you said, they're winning now. But we're running out of time. Let's move on to our gambling corner, where we give gambling advice for the upcoming season. But you know what? We're doing it a little differently today. We're going to switch to the NHL. With the NHL playoffs coming up, we got our odds from DraftKings. DraftKings is a great platform to gamble on and they give live updated bets every day so let's move on to the east and west conference favorites and our picks for the top three teams from each and then a wild card that noah and i have picked ourselves so for the top three teams from the east we picked boston tampa and philly who are really the favorites to make it from the east but i mean you want to bet on a winner and I think that one of those three teams could definitely, definitely make the Eastern Conference Final and win it. Um, Boston is one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league, coming off the break. Tampa has all the firepower. They have all the talent in the world. And Philly is literally the hottest team up until the break. From January until they stopped playing, Nobody could beat Philly. Philly was absolutely on fire, and I think that they're going to continue that that hot streak into the playoffs. But, Noah, who did you have as the wild card that might make it over these top three teams? Yeah, so I'm going to be a little hometown biased here. Uh, I'm going to go with my Pittsburgh Penguins at plus 800. Look, for me, it all comes down to the star power, just because there's going to be no momentum. There's no home crowd there's going to be no fans at these games, so nothing is going to be swinging in terms of momentum. It's only going to be the roster and the guys that you have on the ice. And I think the Penguins have as strong of a forward group as anyone else in the league. Obviously, Sidney Crosby, in my opinion, still the best. Everyone wants to point to McDavid or maybe Nate McKinnon from the Avalanche, but uh, still going to stick with uh, stick with Crosby there as the best. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, one of the top forwards in the league. They get Jake Gensel back from injury, who... Scored 40 goals alongside Sid last season. A shoulder injury at the midpoint of the year kind of hindered his, uh, put a stop to his season. But he'll be back in time. And they also added Jason Zucker from the Minnesota Wild at the trade deadline. So I think they have a very strong forward group. And they also had elevated play of Tristan Jari at goaltender to complement Matt Murray, who's been shaky since Flurry left for the uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. But if they could put it together and they get all their guys back from injury, 
I think that they can make a decent run. Yeah, I mean, being a New York Islanders fan, you know, I'm going to be a little biased too. And I'm going to take the Islanders to be the wild card to make it. I mean, the Islanders, they're a very defensive team. And they may not put up a lot of points, but they definitely don't give up a lot of points. When you got Thomas Grice in net and, you know, you got Varlamov in net too, they could really shut down teams down you got Barzil there you got JJ Pajot who really didn't get an opportunity to show what he's made of and he could really make a difference to the offense there you got Pellet coming back off injury and they just have a bunch of young playmakers that could really give you a value pick I mean their odds right now are plus 2,000 that's a value pick and I think that when it comes to the playoffs defense is extremely important I mean no diss to your Pittsburgh Penguins but last season nobody thought that the Islanders would sweep the Pens Nobody thought that. And it was because they were a very defensive team and they were able to shut down the Penn's high-powered offense. So I think that the Islanders could definitely uh, have the opportunity to win the Eastern Conference, but that's my wild card. I still think the top three solid teams would be Boston, Tampa, and Philly. I think there's no doubt that they would be the favorites to make it. But, you know, it's very unpredictable. But let's move on to the West. Noah, who do you think from the West is going to make it? Yeah, from the West, I think it's going off of the uh, the top teams again. I think that we decided on Vegas, Colorado, and St. Louis. Those are the top three uh, favorites. And look, I, I think because of the stop, and again, there's no momentum, you just have to go with who the best teams are. I mean, all of those teams have done extremely well in the past. Obviously, St. Louis Blues are the defending Stanley Cup champions. The Vegas Golden Knights have made it or they made it to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals against the Washington Capitals a few years ago. And the Colorado Avalanche have one of the best players in the league in Nathan McKinnon, and they're building on their success. I think that the Colorado Avalanche are probably the weakest out of the three, but I also think that they're youngest and they're the fastest, and I think that's going to help coming out of the break here. If you have a lot of older guys on teams having to get back into shape in such a short amount of time, I think that's going to be a little more difficult than a team with a lot of younger guys like the Avalanche who can immediately just come back, pick their speed up, and they're going to be able to keep up their pace of play. So that's why I have, or I guess that's why we have those uh, top three favorites in the league again. I mean, it, I don't think you can go wrong with those. Yeah, I mean, those are really solid picks, all those teams coming off great seasons. And like you said, the Avalanche, they have so much talent. And McKinnon, he's a top three player in the league. You know, he's extremely underrated. People sometimes forget to put him in the conversation of the best players in the NHL, but he definitely is. You know, he's as good a playmaker as anybody else out there. But my wild card team to make to win the Western Conference final, the Vancouver Canucks. And I know people might think that that's a little bit crazy, but the Vancouver Canucks definitely have a good roster. I mean, Elias Pettersson's really good. They got Hughes. They got JT Miller. They just, they have unbelievable playmakers. They're young. And the problem is that they're not very playoff experienced. So that might bite them in the butt a little bit. But I do think that the Vancouver Canucks have enough momentum and they have enough playmakers to make it interesting in the West. And I think that they definitely have some potential. Yeah, I mean, they were the surprise team of the year this year. I don't think anyone expected them to have the amount of success that they have. I think that they're a similar group 
to your Islanders and the fact that they play very well together. They play very sound hockey. I don't think they have necessarily one superstar on their team that everyone points to. I think that they just play sound hockey. They have speed guys, like similar to Colorado. So, and I think that's going to be important in the West is who's going to be able to keep up with the speed game. So I definitely like that pick too. And that's why I'm sort of going with a uh, similar team. And my wild card in the West is going to be the Nashville Predators. They're sort of the disappointment, whereas Vancouver was sort of the surprise and the highlight. Everyone, I think, had Nashville as one of the top one of the top favorites this year to come back in the West. I mean, they surprised as the uh, bottom seed in the Western Conference when they made it to the Stanley Cup Final against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 2017 season. Uh, Pecorino is still one of the better goaltenders in the league, I think. And, uh, I mean, they definitely have the star-studded talent. Roman Yossi saw it on defense, and then they have Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne on offense, Ryan Johansson as well. I mean, they have the talent on the roster, and we've seen them be able to just come back, make decent plays, but they were just extremely shaky at the beginning of the year. They started to get some momentum at the end of the year. They In the last 10 games before the, uh, the season was stopped due to coronavirus, they went 6-3-1, and one. but uh, it's just a question if they can put it together. And for me, the biggest the biggest deciding factor in who's going to do well in the playoffs is the talent and the experience the team has. I think Nashville has been there before, and they have a decent amount of players from that cup run against the uh, against the Penguins. So they have the experience, they have the talent, they have the goaltending. It's just a question of whether they can put it together and who's going to be able to come out hot after this long after this long break due to the uh, virus. So, but that's my pick. They're at plus 1,700, and I think it's good value. Yeah, that is good value. And again, you know, can't go wrong with those wildcard picks, the Predators and the Nucks, both at plus 1,700. You know, we'll see. You never know what happens in the NHL playoffs, and that's just so amazing. I mean, last season, every number one seed lost in the first round. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning lost to the Blue Jackets. Nobody thought that was going to happen. But, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs, and I think that'll be really special. And it'll be really, really uh, especially special. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's going to be really special for whoever wins it because of the whole corona and, you know, what's what's happening around the world right now. So I think that sports is definitely what we need. We need a unifying sport. And, you know, I can't wait for the NHL playoffs to come around, and we'll see who wins it. But that just about does it for us at the online podcast. No, it's been a pleasure this week. But if you guys want to follow us at On The Line Pod on Twitter, and there's underscores in between all those words, so at on underscore the underscore et cetera, uh, you guys can follow us with sports updates. We post recaps from the show. We post graphics of Noah and I and anything sports related and we'd love to hear from you guys so DM us comment back at us on Twitter give us a follow and you know we hope to hear from you guys no it's been a pleasure pleasure as always man and then for the people out there please interact with us on social media like Mark said and we're looking to incorporate some of your opinions into the show I mean if you if you comment and you give us a give us some advice on what to hear we're going to implement it into the show. We feed off of what you guys give us. But, uh, Mark, it's always a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to next week. Can't wait, man.